Snapchat. Malcolm Turnbull announced that the laws of math do not apply here. <laughs> One of my favourite brands of comedy aerial is brown people and black people making fun of white people. Senators have been dropping like flies recently. Shouting out the fact that in the Knowles-Carter family, women just have one name. Backchat on FBI Radio. Welcome to Backchat, the freshest wrap of news and current affairs on the radio. I'm Osman Faruqi. And I'm Ariel Bogle. And look, we're just going to get right into it. We, you know, it's been a, it's been a pretty hectic couple of weeks in Parliament, but there was one highlight that both Ariel and I thought stood out. And rather, we're not going to talk about it. We're just going to we're just going to play it for you. Parliament will sit on Monday, whether it sits in the garden lawn or whether it sits in a building. We don't care, and it will vote, and it will become it will make the laws of the land. That, of course, was Bob Catter of international fame. A recently, recently famous Bob Catter. <laughs> so, you know, Malcolm Turnbull and his gang just decided to take a cheeky week off, you know, just take a break next week. Who, who hasn't wanted to do that, to Indeed. be fair? Indeed. I mean, maybe I will too. <laughs> uh, Malcolm Turnbull announced that the House of Representatives won't be sitting next week. He says that so the Senate can get all this marriage equality bill sorted. But actually, there's 53 other bills the House could be debating next week. Yeah, that's right. Bob, Bob Cutter is, uh, is is really mad because Parliament's supposed to sit next week. Then this week, Malcolm Double said it's not going to sit. And the reason it's not going to sit is because the Senate needs to deal with marriage equality first. Then the bill can go to the House. And then uh, and then the House can debate marriage equality. Um, but <laughs> And so his reason is, until the Senate's done, we're not going to start debating stuff. But, as as you mentioned, Era, there's 56 bills still... 56? 56 to Damn. still be debated. Um, Bob Catter's really mad because he's like, why aren't we debating these bills? There's probably bills about crocodiles and other things that everyone wants to talk about in Parliament. Um, and... Uh, but but the the more interesting thing is not just Bob Catter getting mad. It's the, the reasons underpinning potentially why Malcolm Turnbull has suspended Parliament that might have nothing to do with marriage equality. Right. So there's some commentary that... The, the government, um, as, as listeners would be aware, because we've been talking about it nonstop, and so has the rest of the media, the government's lost a bunch of MPs to citizenship debacle stuff. So they're, currently they've lost Barnaby Joyce in the House of Representatives, they've lost John Alexander in the House of Representatives, and that means that they technically do not have a majority right. in the House of Reps. Now, government isn't likely to like fall over anytime soon, but they could lose key votes on key pieces of legislation, like the potential Royal Commission into the banking sector. And there's always rumbles about Liberal Party leadership spills. You know, will Tony Abbott make his like long-awaited comeback? And some <laughs> might say, if you don't ha- sit in the House of Reps, you don't have a spill because you don't have a party room. <laughs> well, that's not exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just some of the stuff flying around. I think it's pretty interesting that the government has decided to take this hiatus and it, you know... I don't know. What do you reckon? Do you think it's a g- genuine... Um, moment for the Senate to get marriage equality sorted before we launch into Christmas period? No, it's, no, that's totally garbage. And I think like, <laughs> I'm actually really into the way that Bobcat has gotten really worked up about it because yeah. it is worth getting worked up about. Like, mm. it just seems like a pretty craven political um, move from the government. But it's also interesting because we've been talking about citizenship stuff for so long, and that's kind of funny on one level and kind of absurd as well. But now it's quite clearly linked to just a failure of governing. Indeed. Like, because of what's gone on, because the government's lost a bunch of MPs, they're just, they're not governing now. They're not yeah. debating these things that deserve to be debated. I saw someone make this point on Twitter, and sorry, I cannot remember who tweeted it, but you might have seen that this week um, Victorian Parliament looked like that's going to get um, voluntary euthanasia yeah, yeah. through the parliament. And someone said, look, that's an example of 
having uh, people want, you know, in the community um, lobbying for this law, parliament considering the law, hearing from experts, coming to an informed decision and passing, you know, quite a groundbreaking piece of legislation. And in fact, they, they stayed up very late in parliament yeah, they to, did to the pass work it. to pass something that is obviously very controversial, but significant, a very significant step in sort of social lawmaking. And it's been a very long time since the federal parliament was able to do something similar. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in relation to so so so, what's going to happen in Canberra now is Bob Catter, as you heard from that excerpt earlier, he's he's saying that he's going to form his own sort of parliament in exile on the laws of parliament <laughs> on the lawns of parliament house. Yeah, I look forward to that. Um, Labor, the Greens, and some other independents are going to join him. So, so, <laughs> um, just really hyped up on. Yeah, yeah, I'm just very excited <laughs> by this idea of this French revolutionary style parliament in exile without any conservative MPs. Like we could get some cool stuff done. Yeah, it could be uh, the most efficient and active parliament we've had in so many years. <laughs> totally. Um, and there was every week we jinxed ourselves by saying hopefully there won't be citizenship drama, but mm-hmm. there was this week. Yeah, and it didn't even really make the front of the papers. I think people were really over this story. It was a Xenophon team member, um, Sky Kokoshi Moore. Um, looks like she is a British citizen by virtue of her father, I think, or her mother. I'm trying mother to was born in Singapore, in Singapore when it was a colony. Exactly, yeah. yes. So that's a little, compli- <laughs> a little so complicated, complicated route. But, I mean, it, I'm reminded it, as farcical as this whole citizenship debate and fiasco has become how international Australians are that we can knock so many parliamentarians out just because their families, they were born overseas, their parents were born overseas. Like, we should embrace that, but we should figure out how to make it and not knock parliamentarians yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's like 40% or 45% of, mm. of people in Australia are either born overseas or have at least one parent born overseas. And that's like a random statistic, but then when you consider having one parent born overseas can potentially exclude you from, from being an MP. It, yeah. it's, it is quite quite significant. Um, but the other interesting thing, the other kind of interesting statistic is that, that percentage was even higher around federation when the constitution right. was established because people were still recently arriving, particularly from Britain. And so it's so interesting that despite that being a big figure, it still formed a significant part of our constitution. And now the question is, clearly the MPs have realised that it's gone on for too long, but Obviously, to change the constitution, it needs to be put to a referendum. Yes. And how will Australians vote if that happens? Like, do you think they'll be partial to, you know, letting dual citizens or, you know, others? Yeah. I think Australians are pretty practical and they've seen what this has done. Like, it's not pretty, it's not really funny anymore. The parliament is not able to make laws or do anything really. It's still kind of funny, though. It's funny, but I think, you know, I feel the mood of the nation is getting a bit like over it. Yeah, yeah, particularly as we said that now like Parliament is just not going to debate stuff. Exactly. So I think we'll have plenty more times to talk about citizenship. Yeah, another citizenship scandal next week potentially. Let's figure it out. Oh, actually the thing that's worth flagging and people should pay attention to this is when Parliament does resume Mm. in two weeks now, every politician has been asked by the Parliament to provide their citizenship documents. So it's effectively the audit that we've been discussing of every politician the chances of someone else getting caught through that process seems pretty high to me, given what's going on. Yep. So no doubt uh, we'll be back on the show for the next couple of weeks and have more citizenship stuff to talk about. Um, but right now we're going to play you a track from Taps, artist out of New Zealand. He dropped his EP last week, had a gig at Brighton Up Bar that went off in Sydney. This tune's called Run, Don't Run. You're listening to Back Chat on FBI Radio 94.5, streaming on FBIRadio.com. That was half of Hermitude's Searchlight featuring Yao, and before that we had Rainbow Chan with Last, and before that we had Taps' Run, Don't Run. 
Oh, very good Aussie music, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah. So over the past few weeks, you might have seen a bunch of posts on social media asking you to boycott some pretty iconic ice cream bands, including Paddle Pops, Magnums, Golden Gay Times, all the good ones. So that boycott campaign was led by the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union in response to plans from the ice cream manufacturer Streets to significantly cut the wages of employees. But this week, the boycott ended after workers reached a deal with management. And we have George Simon, the media director at the AMWU, joining us in the studio to help us figure this all out. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Ariel. Good to be here. Thanks. And so what was Streets proposing? Walk us through the cuts that they wanted and then why was it considered so bad that a boycott of these brands was called? Yeah, so um, so there's uh, been this trend over the last, since about 2015, of employers um, terminating collective agreements. So um, what's happened is that the Fair Work Commission has relaxed the rules around um, terminating collective agreements so it's really easy for an employer now to apply to the Fair Work Commission when an agreement expires and uh, terminate um, an agreement and move people back to the award. So in the case of streets, um, the agreement expired uh, mid last year um, and they moved to terminate the agreement. And what, would, what it meant for those workers was that if the agreement was terminated, they'd revert back to the award and it would be about a 46% pay cut. And we just didn't think that was tolerable. So... Um, we took a decision to ask the Australian community to support us and support those workers by boycotting streets products. And was there some concern when you were kind of gaming that through, either within the union or from the workers, given how popular some of these ice cream brands were and were going to summer, that were you worried how the public might react to that call? Yeah, well, we were worried about two things. One was, yeah, it's 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 hard to tell people don't don't eat Magnums over summer, <laughs> like you know. Um, we had this experience with beer as well. When we asked people to boycott VBs last year, um, so there's that concern that that perhaps the Australian community won't respond. But overwhelmingly, I think people in Australia support fairness in industrial relations, and when they see things like this happen, they really go on, get on board. And you've just got to look at the kind of um, online response, the vo- how viral our content went to know that um, the Australian public was really on board with this. And then the other thing we have to factor in, of course, is we are asking Australians to boycott the product that our members make. Um, and, you know, like there is some risk for them in terms of mm. um, in terms of their jobs in doing that. But when you have this nuclear option that employers are allowed to just hit a button on, we're faced with no other choice. Um, and so it's a big risk for workers, and they were really brave, I think, in endorsing this campaign. Um, and um, as you would have seen from this week, it's paid off, and it's a really good outcome. So, of course, Streets, um, for their part, said that this 46% figure um, that the workers' cut, uh, workers' pay would be cut by 46% was not based in fact, according to them. Curious about um, what was happening behind the scenes because, of course, the social media boycott got a lot of notice, but what happens when in these situations? Who's negotiating? How does that work? And what is ultimately the deal that's on the table for these workers? Yeah, so, um, so how it works in the background really is that... Um, the workers elect a group of workplace leaders who, along with the elected union officials, um, negotiate the agreement. Um, and so we'd been doing that for about 16 months. It'd been to and fro. It had been pretty intense. There'd been no industrial action. No one had gone on strike. And then, bang, September comes. The company decides they're going to apply to terminate the agreement, which is what we're terming the nuclear option. Like, that's the um, most aggressive thing an employer can do. Um, but the amazing thing that happened was... Um, uh, 
when we turned on the boycott campaign, you could see the temperament of the employer at the bargaining table change. Um, and uh, we knew, you know, we can't really assess what impact this has had on sales. Like, Streets is never going to tell you. Mm. Um, but we know from the fact of the, the shift in the employer's behaviour that this was having an impact, and you've just got to go to any Coles or Woolworths at the moment and see how much they're discounting Streets products to know yeah, that, yeah. that we were having an impact as well. You, you've mentioned the, the termination a couple of times, and as Zero said in instruction, that was the genesis or the spark for mm. this boycott call. And industrial relations stuff can be pretty complicated. We don't need to have like a mm. we don't have the time to, to, to kind of get everyone up to speed on it. And I, you know, I kind of need to spend some time myself learning more about this stuff. But it's not the first time we've seen a company do that. We've seen Murdoch University in WA. They, they applied and successfully... Um, manage to terminate their EBA. Is this something that the rest of us should be worried about? Is this an option that managers and bosses and companies are, are looking to use? And, and if so, what are the consequences of that for workers? Yeah, I think this is a big concern for all Australian workers. Um, and, and everyone should be concerned that employers have this nuclear option that they can hit the button on anytime they want. Um, our industrial relations system since the 90s has relied on collective bargaining in the main to deliver wage increases and conditions for Australian workers. And an employer having capacity to unilaterally terminate a collective agreement has the power to just totally undermine the system of collective bargaining that we have, and every Australian should be concerned that an employer can do it. Um, because, of course, the problem is not just that um, employers can terminate agreements. That, that happens on rare occasion. It's the threat of termination and what that does to the dynamic at the bargaining table. Um, and, and, you know, for every example of a termination of agreement, I can point you to five or ten other examples where the employers threatened it and, empl- and, and workers have accepted lower than usual pay increases and conditions as a result of that threat. So it just, it totally changes the dynamic at the bargaining table and gives the employer all the power to do whatever they want. So, so what happens when, so when, uh, if, it's, if an agreement is terminated... In the case of the streets uh, situation, that meant that it goes back to the award. And the award is basically the bare minimum legally that companies are obliged to pay workers. Is that correct? That's correct. So, um, And so what you've seen since the genesis of collective bargaining in the 90s is that collective agreements have um, delivered bigger pay increases and better conditions. And there's this big gap that has um, that has uh, we've come to in terms of the minimum standard and what people are normally negotiating. Right, right. Uh, and so employers are exploiting that gap by saying, well, we'll terminate the collective agreement and you'll go back to the award rate. And in the main, those things just, they, they have lower rates of pay and they just specify less conditions because they're base standards and they're premised on the idea you that they're a baseline them, yeah. that you would negotiate above. So um, so I think it's, um, you know, like it's a, it's a huge problem. We're calling on the federal government to, to close this loophole that allows employers to do it. So sometimes um, a lot of this centres around the Fair Work Commission, which is the body to which companies apply to terminate these agreements. Is that right? So um, that can also help workers. I think there was the example of Duncan Hart, who took on Coles. Um, He thought that the deal it had made with the Shop Distributive and Allied Employees Association, the union there, was unfair to him, a sort of casual worker. So, yeah, walk us through that, because sometimes these bodies that are unfriendly for workers can also help workers. That's a sort of fine balance. Yeah, well, these bodies are um, creatures of legislation Mm -hmm. um, and they are um, reflective of um, the legislation that Australians accept from the government at the time. Um, The Fair Work Commission actually, in in the context of this dispute, has been very helpful. Um, We've been negotiating with streets 
under the supervision of the Fair Work Commission, and they've been mediating that dispute, and they've been doing a really good job of it. Um, and we we don't criticise um, we don't criticise commissioners for decisions that they make. Uh, they make those in the context of the, of the legislation that the government creates. And really, um, it's up to the Australian people and governments to demand what the standard is and require the commission to enforce those. And so going back to the, the streets campaign, uh, uh, for example, uh, that was a heavily social media kind of focused campaign. What were the outcomes of that? What did you see? How did you see the public engage with that campaign that made you think, yeah, well, this was the right call. We're onto something with this sort of thing. Yeah, well, th- there was this funny moment um, back in September uh, where... Um, it was just when the um, streets uh, management had applied to terminate the agreement, and we posted a really simple photo of um, of a dropped magnum, like it was just a magnum that had been <laughs> dropped on the floor, with a very short backstory about what was going on, um, and that was seen by half a million people. Yeah, wow. And and we knew at that point we were really onto something, and then um, you know the day we launched the boycott, um, we reached one and a half million people um, through Facebook in our live videos and um, and the graphics that we were posting. We started trending on Twitter. I just think this tapped into a sense of, um, you know, there's a real sense, I think, amongst the Australian community that the rules are stacked against working people Mm. and stacked against ordinary people, um, and the game is rigged. And I think this really just tapped into that. Throw on top of that an iconic Australian brand where people would expect better. Yeah, yeah. And and we we just, we hit a nice niche, I think. Awesome. Um, George, that's unfortunately all we've got time for, but thanks for joining us on Backchat this morning. Thanks so much for having me. That's George Simon from the Australian Manufacturers Working Union. And, and just, just before you run away, George, just to clarify, because people have seen the stuff, it's okay now to eat streets ice cream? Get on the gay times. We can get, get the gay times. <laughs> you like this? Ariel likes the splice. I'm not a fan of the splice. A um. combo of creamy vanilla and <laughs> citrus cream. Pick a side, Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> I choose splice side. <laughs> I choose splice. Um, that, that's all we've got time for. Um, thanks to uh, digital producer Natalie Sekolovska. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stick around for Agenda. That's up next. We're going to leave you with this tune from Hiatus Coyote. It's called By Fire.